0: You got it right now. There you go. Does that sound good, Andy? Andy likes it, that's man. If Andy likes it, I like it. <laughs> 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 Dangerous, isn't it? Um you wanna open your Bibles? Uh to Mark chapter twelve, verse thirty eight through forty four. And Brian is gonna put that up there on the And if you don't want to open your Bible, you can look up there. This is a little story that Jesus told. Uh, actually, it's a teaching. It says, Then he said to, to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogue, the best place at the feast or at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrum, which is, I don't know what a quadrum is, but it's not a lot, like two, two cents maybe. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, um, if you look at this verse historically, there was a a thing that the scribes actually did. Um, What they would do with widows, they would convince widows to... Sell their homes and give all the money to the synagogue. And they were really bad guys. They would keep. They they would get a keep back for doing this. In other words, they would convince somebody to do it, and they would like get a commission for selling. You know, for the money that the synagogue received. And then, you know, that's why Jesus said it was this pretense in verse forty. They make a pretense for long prayers. They were trying to cover what they were doing. Um, so and then immediately there's a widow that shows up and more than likely this was one of the widows who had been wounded or hurt by somebody manipulating her financially so um, probably if we could say anything about the church that would be probably one area that we have received a lot of wounds at I would think most people would agree with that is financially you never think about it, but, you know, even in Jesus' day, people were taking advantage of other people financially in the, in the name of God. And it's just a, it's, it's an ongoing thing, and I think many of us have seen, you know, that with certain TV evangelists that people are taking advantage of. So um, it's a real issue, I believe, with people is money. I mean, let's be honest. Money is a very sensitive area in our lives. People don't really like talking about money in church. Um, but Jesus, if you really study His ministry, He talked about money a lot. And people talk to Jesus about money a lot. Money was a subject that came up a lot. <coughs> and it's a subject that comes, has come up a lot in my life recently with people asking me questions about money asking me questions about finances. Um, and a lot of the questions were questions that really made me you know, go back and really, what, what does the Lord really have to say about finances? You know what I'm saying? What, is, what does really the Bible really teach about it? Um, uh-huh. And it's a, really a delicate subject. It really is. But it's a subject that really needs to be talked about. Is finances, and from a spiritual perspective, I think you know we do a lot of premarital counseling. That's one of the areas we really try to talk to couples about: is their finances, because that is a major reason for divorce in our nation. Is finances; it becomes a division in the family over finances. So we see how, just in the natural, just in a marriage, how that can really there can really be some hurt that comes in to a marriage over money. Uh, so it's really important for young couples to really have a good understanding of, of finances. I'm not no financial ex- expert by any imagination. In fact, I'm the least one in my household when it comes to to budgets, and I leave all that up to my wife to take care of because she's a lot better at it than me. I'm just sort of like to spend money and kind of like you know, there's money there. I've got checks. You know, as long as I have checks, there's money. I'm sort of from that <laughs> philosophy. I think a person can uh, do what the Bible says to do about finances and still have financial problems because there's other areas in their life where they might not be wise. They may be like me, (laughs) you know, spending money you don't have. But I do believe I could say this. If you want a good foundation for your finances, you really need to understand what the Bible says about finances. If you really desire to have a good foundation in your life. And there's just a lot of confusion, a lot of woundedness about finances. And what the church really needs to do is not wound people about finances or anything else for that matter. What the church needs to do is help people be healed in that area. And a lot of the teachings, honestly, to me, that we hear about money, they're wounding. They wound, they just continually wound, wound the people, hurt the people, And I just don't think that's what God's heart is. The Lord really has called the church to be a hospital, a place where people can be healed. Okay? And I think God wants to heal people's finances. Now, so my heart really is to be right about this, to be pure about this. But, you know, if you go to the hospitals, lots of times they give you shots. Right? Ouch. (laughs) Right? But most of the time, the shots are to heal you, to help you. So if you feel an ouch in what I say this morning, it is not an ouch, a wounding ouch. I mean, really. This was not my plan here. Okay? finance was the last thing I was thinking about and dreaming about. It was something God just started talking to me about. And I realized He was talking to me about it by all the people He was sending to me to talk to me. And I knew God was trying to speak to me. So I asked the Lord, and he, He spoke to me. I think there's a lot of people in this church that suffer what the Bible talks about. It's about being devoured. You know what you know the Bible says in Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. Anybody in here ever felt like they were being devoured? Ever felt like something was just grinding away, eating at you little by little by little? Your washing machine breaks? Your car has flat tires? you know, gas is $2.25 a gallon. I mean, there's something coming after you constantly trying to... You know, the Bible talks about, you know, putting earning wages and putting them in pockets with holes. Have you ever you know, felt that? I remember when Hurricane Hugo came through. I mean, it devastated us financially. It just seemed like that was the beginning of this financial tumble that we went through because, you know, we had so much damage on our house. and It was just a bad time, but... Um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about it this morning. Um, y'all got grace sports? Turn to John 1, 14. Or you can look up there. This is what I wanted to say before I said anything about money. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, the Bible tells us two things about God. It, it says these two things. It says, God is love, and God is light. That is two things. That's John, 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John uh, 1, 5. Here's what Matthew and I were talking about this, about, about grace. Grace is a... This is what, if you really want to get, uh, to me, after really immersing myself in grace for the last few years, this is the best definition of grace that I have. come. Grace is a practical expression of God's love. That's that's what grace is. It's just a practical expression of God's love. It's, it's, It's love in action. That's what grace really is. And light is just a practical expression of truth. It's truth in action. And really the way you have to look at the New Testament especially, you have to look at the New Testament like this, that the New Testament is simply telling us and showing us what a person who's living a grace life, life will look like. In other words, if you took a man who lived in 1950 and drove a car in 1950 and and he was stuck in a time warp somewhere and suddenly he uh, reappeared and didn't know anything that had happened and you said, hey, I, I need you to run to the store for me, and he went out into your car, he could not crank your car. And the reason he couldn't and in 1950, if you all remember, here's how you cranked a car. You got in the car and there was this little silver thing on the floor and there's was a gas pedal and you put your that little silver thing, you turned a key that didn't turn like that, you just turned it on, you pulled this thing on your dashboard, which was called a choke, and you would mash that starter that was on the floor and push the gas at the same time. You know, and then the car would and then you would sort of mess with the choke until that's the way cars started then. And so that's, that's what they were used to. But a guy today, you'd have to, you'd have to tell him, listen, don't, don't mash the gas. These are fuel-injected cars. You just stick the key on the column, not in the dashboard, and you turn it until you hear the engine, the starter. But a person who didn't know that, who knew how to drive a car in the 50s, would know how, would, who would, wouldn't know automatically do that. So you have these owner manuals that say, this is the way you treat this car. This is the way it works. And that's what, many ways like the Bible is like that to us. It tells us, it gives us a snapshot of this is what grace really is. This is the way the grace works. So a lot of people take stuff in the New Testament and they try to make, apply it in a legalistic sense, but it's really not meant to be applied like that. It's simply just telling us this is the way it works. So you will know you're walking in grace when you're walking like it showed us in there between that and the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart. you got those two things for you. So that's what it is. It's truth in action. It's, it's love in action. Are you all with me so far? All right, turn over to Second Corinthians 8. And I'll just go as fast and hard as I can to get through quickly. Because I'm not going to no, be graceful for you all and split it up in two parts. i got to get done with it. Because I don't really want to talk about it much more. All right, right, Second Corinthians 8, uh, 1 through 7. It says, "Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were free, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and fellowship of ministering to the saints." And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, listen, as you abound in in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and your love for us, see that you abound in this grace, I'll say clearly what the New Testament, and what Paul was trying to say, is giving is a grace of God. Giving is a is love in action. Giving is truth in action. That's clearly what he was trying to say there. To tell us that grace is not a legalistic thing, or giving is not a legalistic thing. Giving falls under the category of grace. Just like love is an expression, right? giving is an expression of grace. And I'm going to show you in a minute that most of us don't do that. Now just for your information about Macedonians, this is the things I love about who they were. You've heard about the Bereans in the Bible. They were Macedonians. The Philippians, they were Macedonians. The Thessalonians. So, you know, the Philippian jailer, remember him? Paul, he got saved. Paul was in an earthquake. Remember Lydia, the dealer in purple garments? See, when you think about it, these were personal people that Paul was talking to right here. They were, they were personal people. I just want you to know that because it makes the Bible more interesting when you read it from a personal perspective. It wasn't just as a general thing. And then he he also says up here, he said, according to their ability in verse 3, I think I have it underlined. According to their ability, and yes, beyond their ability. And that's what really New Testament giving is all about. That's that's grace. It's it's giving beyond your own self, your own ability to give, your own natural strength to do it. Okay? And isn't that what grace really is? It's, it's, it's stepping outside yourself and allowing God to do something in you. Is that Y'all clear on that? Y'all good on that? That's, that's how grace works. It's not you, it's God. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace, it would be you. So we have to see that giving is like that too. And if you're going to give according to the New Testament way, you need to give it in, a, in, in grace, not in your own strength. It's got to be beyond your ability. He said, yeah, they gave according to their ability, but they did it beyond. They began by making a choice to give. That's where it begins. That's how grace begins. You surrender, you choose. They begin making a choice, and then then the Lord Himself in them stepped in and said, yeah, I found a person who's willing to give, and I'll do it through them. Are you all with me? So, um, and then it says, it says, uh, where does it say that? It says they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. See, that's how giving starts. You have to to realize when you give of your finances, you're giving it to God. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to God. If you can't see that you're giving it to God, it's not going to work for you. Okay, but then you have to realize also, he says they first gave it to God, then they gave it to us. God has appointed stewards of His finances. On the earth, he's appointed the, you know the church and different organizations to be stewards over his money, to take care of his money, to spend his money, and that's just the way it is. You don't just say, well, I'm giving it to God and it's going to float up there in heaven. No, somebody is going to take that money and count it, and put it in a bank account, and somebody's going to make a decision on how to spend that money. Somebody's going to write, and you have to. That's just the way it is. God has, you know, appointed those things to man to do. And we really have to really get that in our hearts, I'll say. Um, you know, the body of Christ is to be a steward of God's money. And it's, it's a pretty critical thing. Now, so we see that grace, that giving is grace. Everybody with me on that? Are you all with me on this, on this deal so far? Are you tired of, tired of talking about money already? All right. Matthew 23, 23. Let's read that one. Put that one up there. Here's a great scripture. I want to talk to you a minute or two about tithing. Everybody, y'all want to talk about tithing? Anybody want to talk about tithing? Tithing is a controversial subject in the church. This is what Jesus said about tithing. So that's a great person to ask about it. it. says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe a mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So, um... Jesus was mad because these guys were gardeners. Okay? That's mint and stuff. You grow that stuff. And they were growing it, and they were very careful to make sure they gave 10% of it to God. Very careful. And Jesus was upset with them because of, of that act. Because he says, you're doing that, but you know there's these weightier matters of the law called justice and mercy and faith. Weightier. Now listen. Listen to this. I want you to get this this morning. Jesus said that justice, mercy, and faith were matters of the law of Moses. Now, I don't think we normally think in those terms. I don't really think about justice being something from the law, but that's what he said. Okay? So here's what has happened, and this is wrong. I believe this is really wrong in the church. The church, some have said, tithing is just Old Testament, therefore we don't do it. But they don't apply that to faith. They don't say faith is Old Testament, so we don't do it. They don't say justice is Old Testament, so we don't do it. We don't say say mercy is Old Testament, so we don't do it. So it's almost like we've become selective in what we keep and what we don't keep. But Jesus even said, Hey, man, you should have done these things, justice, mercy, and faith, and you should not have not done the other, which was tithing. That was Jesus' word on tithing. Now, here's what you've got to understand about the, about the New Testament and about the spiritual world. And you, we really need to get this. Everything in the, in the natural realm operates on laws, right? There's a law called the law of gravity. And that law is operational, whether you decide for it to be operational or not. It's, it's automatic. When you're born, you're, when you're conceived, you're influenced by gravity. The only way you can overcome gravity is get in an airplane. And then the law of aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. You understand what I'm saying? There's a thing called the law of, this is my phrase, the law of electricity. I really call it Ohm's law. But the law of electricity is a powerful law. But you know there's another law that overcomes electricity. It's called the law of conductivity. And electricity conducts through certain materials, like gold, silver, copper, like the three best. But it will not conduct through plastic. So the law of conductivity defeats or overcomes the law of electricity. And therefore, we can use electricity. We can harness it using the law of conductivity as one of the laws to govern electricity. you all understand what I'm saying? What we don't understand, and this is in the New Testament, the spiritual world is governed by laws. Okay, There's laws that govern the spiritual realm. Here's some of the ones mentioned in the New Testament. The law of Moses, of course. All right, there's another one called the law of God. That's Romans seven twenty-two, And I think the law of God probably refers to all laws, both natural and spiritual. He's, you know, the big law guy. He's given them all the laws. All right, there's another great law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ. The Bible gives us that term. There's also a bad law in there called the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8, 2. All right, like this law, Galatians 6, 2, the law of Christ. The law of Christ. All right? How about James one twenty five? The law of liberty. The law of liberty. I believe the law of liberty, and the law of Christ, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, those all laws are the same. They're different words for the same law, and that law is the law of grace, which is not a term in the Bible. Law of grace. Okay? Then here's a great law called the law of faith. Romans 3.27. The law of faith. And there's another law, it doesn't say that it is, a, it doesn't call it a law of but it is a law called the law of sowing and reaping. Okay, that's in Galatians 6. It's all over the law, the law of sowing and reaping. That's a natural law. You know, you reap what you sow. Isn't that a law? You know, you sow grass, you're going to get grass and a few weeds. So the spiritual world, now what I want to tell you, the spiritual world is governed. Now, the reason I say that faith is that, that tithing is a part of the law of of, or, or as part of grace is because if you study the Bible and you study the New Testament what it says about tithing, it is actually included in three laws. Okay? it's First, it's included in the law of faith. Alright? that You find that in, in Hebrews 7, 2. Abraham, before the law of Moses, tithed to Melchizedek. Abraham was the father of faith. Alright? It's definitely included in the law of Moses. Tithing is—it's clearly spelled out. I read Leviticus, but it's also included in the law of Christ that I just read that to you a few minutes ago about you should have not left this one undone. So therefore, based on the scriptures that we have, tithing is grace. Tithing is New Testament. Tithing is something God wants us to do, it, but it's only a part of giving in the Bible. It's, it's, you know, there's a giving of alms also, which is given to the poor. God wants us to give to the poor. You know, there's, a, you know, there's a, you know, alms, there's offerings. God wants us to make offerings, you know, apart from tithes. See, these are all things that are in the Bible that, incl- that we could put under this big thing called the grace of giving. You understand what I'm saying? I know y'all sitting there. So remember what I just said? I'm not trying to wound anybody this morning. And if you feel an ouch in your heart, well, just take that's the needle. That's the that's the uh you know, the what do they call that thing when they stick a thing in your arm and give you fluids? The IV. Yeah, that's the IV. So I believe that uh tithing is definitely an expression of the grace of giving. Therefore I believe if we're gonna crank the car away God has designed the car to work, then that's tithing is part of of, of the grace of giving. I know some people in here disagree with it, but Guess what? <laughs> I don't think the Bible does. So, all right, now let's turn to Second Corinthians 9. Let me take this a little bit further. I'm a big believer in laws, okay? Big believer in laws. It's like what I told you about that law of electricity because I went to school for four years studying the law of electricity. Plus, you know, physics laws, laws of thermodynamics, all these different laws that are out there that are governing us that we don't even realize they're there, you know. And I've realized in, in my walk of grace with God that the only way to overcome the law of sin and death is to overcome it with a greater law. In other words, just like you overcome gravity with the law of aerodynamics, you overcome the law of sin and death by placing yourself in the law of spirit of life in Christ. So therefore, we can look at everything from a perspective like that. The greater law. Which law are you under this morning when it comes to money? Well, ask yourself. Most of you in this room probably, or maybe you're not, but most people are under the law of sowing and reaping. That's how most people operate. That do give money, they are under that law that says, if you sow this much, you reap that much. That is not a bad law, actually, unless you're not given anything. Then it's a bad law. You know, because you don't get anything. So if you decide to place yourself under that law then you you need to operate according to the rules of that law. You understand what I'm saying? Let me just tell you this. If you're not under the law of grace under the law of liberty, you are automatically going to be placed under some other law. If I'm not an airplane, I am automatically under the law of gravity. So what I'm saying to you, you when it concerns finances, you have no choice. You are going to be placed under some governing factor. Now It could be the law of liberty. That's the one you want to be in. But if you choose not to be under the law of liberty, if you decide that you are not going to do what it asks you to do, what it, what it wants to do through you, then you automatically fall under one of these other laws. You may automatically fall to the next level, which would be the law of sowing and reaping. If you don't operate under that, then you'll, sooner or later you'll tumble down to the law of you know, Moses, the legalistic one. You don't want to do that one. All right, listen. This is what Paul was saying. But but this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's describing the law of sowing and reaping. Right there. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. So he's saying, listen, you don't want to be up there in verse 6. You don't want to be under that. You really don't. You don't want to be under this thing that says you have to do this to get this. Paul's saying, don't do it. That's the bad law. Get under this other one. Do it like this. Make a decision about your money. Make a decision in your heart. Don't be grudging about it. Because grace is not grudging. Make this choice. Make this decision. Because God loves. That's what God loves. He wants it to work this way. Like in verse 7 instead of verse 6. Now, I know a lot of people teach a lot so when it comes to money. I mean, you find, you hear, there's lots of teachings, and they're not wrong. I'm just saying it's a lesser law. And then he says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He's talking about giving right here in your money. He's saying this is what God will do for you, that you always have an all-sufficiency in all things. And that's grace, right? All things, all sufficiency. They have an abundance for every good work. He said, you're going to have all the sufficiency. You're going to have so much sufficiency, you can, can do with your money good works. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. Alright, who's the poor right here? Well, it could be literal poor. But you know what it's really saying there? Paul was saying, listen, this is the way this deal works. You want, you want to tap into this thing? Get into this abundance thing? Then you've got to become poor within yourself you got that within yourself let me give you an example here's the example a couple of weeks ago I went to a wedding most of the time when you go to weddings you put a suit on right right I mean most of the time I mean gosh don't y'all go to wear weddings and suits so I went to this wedding huh yeah, we wear suits at the wedding, you're supposed to say yes. I just automatically did it. Listen, I'm usually the guy who likes to dress down worse than anybody. But I went and got my best suit on, put it this way, and went there, got there, noticed the father of the of the groom come walking out with a pair of khaki pants and a blue shirt on like I'm dressed right now. I'm thinking, I guess he hadn't put his coat and tie on yet. Then somebody came up to me and said, Man, you're you're dressed up more than the the groom. Man, I thought, oh my gosh, I missed it. I was mad at Becky first. like, why didn't you tell me something? I didn't say that to her. That's what I was thinking. So we go and sit in this wedding. I look around. I'm the most dressed up male in this wedding. The women looked nice, but I was a man all in a black suit with a tie on and a white shirt. I looked grand, except it was the worst, wrong place to look grand. You know? So here I was sitting there thinking, I, you know, I am going to go home before the reception and changing into something. I can't do this. And I was mad. I was frustrated. so self-conscious that I couldn't stand it. That's what I was, self-conscious. Then the Lord spoke to me and said, Byron, Self-consciousness is the enemy of God consciousness. I said, What do you what do you mean, Lord? He, he showed me. He started showing me everything he was doing there at that wedding. He showed me all kinds of stuff that was going on in people's lives. I mean, it was incredible stuff. I had people come up to me, listen, I need you to pray for me because five years ago I did something really bad and I got out of the ministry. I was a pastor. And I feel like God's starting to speak to me. And Brent wants me to go back into the ministry full time. God sent that. Person. That was God saying, I'll show you. This is what I'm doing. Here's a man who'd fallen, who needs somebody to stand with him to be restored. I talked to a woman. She said, so How are you doing? I said, how are you doing? Just to be nice, really. She said, Well, you know, my husband's in prison. He's not gonna get out for seven years. I'm thinking about divorcing him. That's what she said to me I, I, it ain't about him being in prison. She poured her heart out to me. Here's a desperate woman talking about her family or kids. I mean there were numerous things like that going on and what God was showing you you're so focused on how you feel that you don't even, you're missing what I'm doing. You're missing what i'm doing i'm am at work here in this wedding, and you're so concerned about how you look and how what you think people are thinking about you which they probably wants to uh, forget that guy. and you know, who cares what you look like? Well, this is the thing about money. Selfishness with finances, I believe, is also an enemy. Okay, I think it's an enemy to um, this abundance, all sufficiency, and all things. Okay, because if we're selfish in it means we're self-focused on our finances, and that cuts the grace of God off in your life. It keeps grace from being able to function in your life. You understand? Do y'all understand that principle? If you're selfish with finances, you are cutting yourself off of what Paul said up there. God is made, able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have an all sufficiency always, that's a long time always. It's all, you know, always is a pretty good time. All sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now, now may he who supply may he who supplies seed to the sower And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. It doesn't mean you don't sow because you're operating under grace. You do sow. I mean, gosh, but you're not operating under the law of sowing and reaping. You're operating under the law of grace. And so what he's saying, if you will do that, God will increase it. Okay? You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. That's what Paul's saying. This is how this deal works. All right, now listen. Y'all heard the story Pastor Noah? I think he told the story. When he was a child in Zimbabwe, his granddaddy was a master farmer. Okay? And he'd go to his granddaddy's house, and he said, but there was one thing you did not get near was his granddaddy's barns that stored the seeding. He said his granddaddy had a world-class pitching arm. I mean, he could throw it like any may You'd be out getting close to that seed barn, all of a sudden this 90-mile-an-hour dirt clob would hit you in the head. <laughs> Because he protected his seed, because he knew his seed was what was going to give him crops, and it says that God gives us seed to sow. And here's what a lot of people—a lot of people—eat the seed that God has given us to sow. You see that? Therefore, you don't have what you need, and you see, we think we get away with it because it doesn't happen tomorrow. You're eating the seed that you're supposed to—you know—the seed that God has given you. He's given us seed to sow, not to eat. You know, and if you plant one grain of corn, you get, you know, three or four or five ears of corn. It has lots of grains on it. Do you understand that? Do y'all understand that? Yeah. So you can't eat the seed that God's given you to sow. It's wrong to do that. You're hurting yourself. You're not hurting anybody else. You're hurting yourself. And when we don't, when we take what God has given us, to sow and we eat it we really are we've moved outside of grace because here's the way grace works grace only works if you let it work grace don't work if it just comes into you and stops it dies in there that ain't the way the Christian it's got to flow it's got to move it's got to work are y'all with me on this? oh right, you know the old uh, Smith and Barney commercial we make money the old fashioned way we earn it Y'all remember that commercial? That was, we make money the old fashioned way. We earn it. Smith and Barney, television commercial from a few years ago. All old people know about that. Well, those, those guys, yeah, that's a good commercial, actually, you know, when it comes to that realm of finances. Instead of spilling it or ripping people off. But here's the truth that's the way a lot of Christians are about their finances. We're going to sow so we can reap, we're going to live under the law of sowing and reaping. Instead of saying, no, we're going to live under grace, and grace is, is the big law, it's the greater law, it's going, to, it's going to cause us to reap. It's going to, but if we're not doing it, it's God doing it in us. It's God's power being released through us. So God's power is greater than anything else, and it will work. It works. Grace works in giving. It's meant to. If it's not meant to, forget it, you know. All right, uh, John four Y'all had enough of this? I know some of you ain't agreeing with me. I don't care. But I'm really telling you what I'm saying to you is true. If you can tap into the grace of giving versus your let me just say this, some of the most religious people in the world that I have met have this fight against giving. And they do it under the guise of liberality, but they don't really understand what true liberty is. They're in bondage to their own, you know, foolish doctrines that are non biblical and really are not God at all. So you know, you need to let the Word of God search your heart this morning. Test your heart. You test your life against that. Test your heart. Let God speak to you. Don't just hear what I say. Let God speak. Hey, I didn't, I didn't think about all this stuff with the laws. It wasn't ideal. God spoke it to me to, to be able to understand this whole thing. All right, this is the way grace works. This is the way God really, what God really wants to take us. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. That's, that's really what God wants. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. That's really how our finance... God really wants our finances ultimately to work, is to reap where we haven't labored. In other words, to reap where we have not sown. And that person who he's, they're referring to there, Jesus, he's referring to what he's done. He's saying to us, Listen, I have a grand plan for your finances. And the grand plan is this, is you can reap where you never sowed if you will enter into my labors. Now, that's how you get that. You enter into His labors. And the way you enter into His labors is you trust Him, you believe Him, you submit yourself to Him and do what He's asked you to do already. And you can begin to enter in and start getting stuff that's coming your way that you absolutely don't deserve, absolutely didn't do anything to get. You can walk in a favor of God on your job, with your you know, business, with your personal finances. All that can happen in your life because you are, have entered into His labors. Because He's done something. He's outworked something. And suddenly you're tapped into a financial source that's incredible. You know, I, I know this is getting late. I'll try to Hurry. But I remember when I was, and I'll just be honest with you, I thought about this. When I was an engineer, I had tapped into this thing to some level where I was blessed beyond my measure. I was blessed, I was favored beyond. I'm saying, why? These people are stupid. <laughs> why do they like me so much? Honestly, I would think, why do they think I'm so good? I am not that good. There were twenty five people, much greater and smarter than me, more brilliant than me. That worked harder. They would be there when I'd get there, and they'd still be there when I'd leave. I'd get there on time, and I'd leave on time, but they would work their fannies off. I wasn't doing that, and I was getting all the blessings. I'm, and it was the favor of God. I mean, I worked hard. I did what they. I was a good employee. I was a great employee. God somehow blessed what I did beyond me. I don't know why He did it, but it was because I had stepped into God's favor, His grace. That didn't mean I didn't get up and go to work every day. Do you see what I'm saying? I got up and went. They said, be here at 8.15 or four, whatever time it was, 7.15. Guess what? I was there. My honey was there at 7.15 because they said, this is when you're coming to work and this is when you're going home. That's not being legalistic. But something else happened. It was the grace of God. And that's what can happen with our finances, I believe. I haven't gotten that in ministry. I mean, I feel like I beat my brains out in ministry. I'm thinking, man, I ain't... Lord, what in the world? Please help me find that in what I'm doing now. I want to get back to that place where I am reaping things that I didn't work for. They just happen. They're God. He's doing His favor and I think we all need that with our finances. And I think there will come a day maybe where that's all we have. There's no source of income. You don't even have anything if God doesn't give it to you. Wouldn't that be a frightful day for some of us? It doesn't need to, we need to learn how to do this. I don't know how you learn how to do it, but I am just saying this. I believe, just like I went to work and went to lunch when they said, if I would do the things that God has asked me to do in terms of finances right now, that sets me up to enter into something greater financially. It sets me up to really walk it. That's not being legalistic. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's looking for grace. That's finding grace. I need to take the money that God has given me, the seed that He has given me to sow, and I need to sow that and not eat it. Okay? That's not being legalistic. You understand what I'm saying to you? And I believe if if we would begin to allow God to do this, life, we could see a turnaround. We may not see a turnaround tomorrow. Just like when you get out of that, you're not seeing the immediate negative side. But I believe we really could do that. Are you all with me this morning on this? I believe grace, I believe giving is a grace. I believe it works under the law of liberty, the law of Christ. That's what I really believe. I believe that is God's highest level for us in giving. I believe it's higher than the law of sowing and reaping. It's higher than the law of Moses. You understand me? So, okay. That's the end. So we're, we're going to take up our offering. Just kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do this for an offering. I did this because I felt like the question was asked me by God five times in a array. So I said, what's the answer, Lord? What's the answer? And I've given you today the best answer I feel like God gave me. Okay? Now, what I say to you is you test what I'm saying. You test it. You be willing to put your personal belief system and your all that aside and say, Lord, I'm willing to hear. If that's the truth, I want you to convince me. I, I'm going to go to the Word myself. I'm going to be a Berean and see if these things are so. I'm going to go study the Word. I'm going to find out. Holy Spirit, speak to me. And if you haven't disagree with me, then, well, hey, we're cool, man. I mean, I'm going to keep asking God about this. Keep seeking God about this. Amen? So, Lord, we just want to enjoy you. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you for all your mercy and goodness towards us this morning. Lord, I thank you that you really want us to be in love with you and... Lord, I pray that you would release that passion that we're talking about this morning in all areas of our life, Lord. Not just in our worship, Lord, but in our relationship with our children, our wives, our husbands, our friends, Lord. Um, just every area of our life, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray that we wouldn't be a place here in this church that wounds people. I pray we'd be a place that people could get healed and find your love, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just really do pray that this morning, Lord, I pray we wouldn't be so dogmatic about our doctrines and about what we believe that people get hurt over it, Lord, that we could really extend grace to each other. Can I just share one little thing with you that's really important to me this morning? I mean, heck, it's, it's so late now, it's just late. yeah, we just have blown this thing. Uh, Friday, Becky called me and said, I got some terrible news for you. And the terrible news was this. My uh, sister's husband of 28 years died Thursday. And she had been divorced from him for two years And I was crushed, really, because... um, Well, number one, I was crushed because that was like the fourth death in a row that was near and dear to my heart. Um, There were four people that died. Al Stevenson... Um, josh morley morell davis which is becky's brother and then worth price which and all and, and all these men had one thing in common their lives fell short of what god had for them every one of them their lives fell short and in some ways they were all they were all ready to go they were all they're all in heaven they're happy now they're they're relieved now but Worth Price, I probably met him when I was 14 years old. He started dating my sister, and he and I were drug addicts together. And, but he got saved somewhere along the line before I did. And I spent about four years with Worth. And Worth, every day, would talk to me about the Lord. And he didn't preach to me. He would just talk to me about, about Jesus. In some ways, he wore me down, you know. But it was a good wearing down. Um, and I got saved, you know, much to his ministry and my brother's prayer ministry, which I didn't know was happening behind the scenes, you know, because of that. And so when he died, it was, it was, he was a person I personally felt like I owed him something, and not in a bad way. I owed him something because he helped me find Christ. Okay? So what happened with Worth, Worth was this. Worth, we were talking about passions. He was the most passionate man about the Lord I have ever met to this day in my life. I can remember walking into his apartment, and he'd be studying the Word, fixing to go to class together. We were in school together. What are you doing, Worth? Studying the Word. Man. we got a calculus test, man. Why aren't you studying calculus? What is wrong with you? you crazy or something? You're going to fail this class if you don't study it. That's just the way he was very passionate loved God diligently but he uh, he got hurt in the church the people that he loved dearly hurt they didn't mean to hurt him because they loved him but they hurt him and we started drifting away from the Lord over that hurt and he drifted away from Becky and I really we tried to reach out to him and have a relationship with him and my sister and he wouldn't really respond Worth was one of the... You should have heard the testimonies of people. Well, they people loved him. Everybody loved him because he was the kind of person that would always like... You know, like it say, Worth, can you help me? Yeah, I'll help you. No problem, man. I mean, that was some of the things they were saying about him. He was just dearly loved. But he slowly it's pulled away from us And he, because he was pulling away from the Lord. He was leaving, leaving the Lord, falling away from God little by little by little by little. And... And it started with the wound. And like two years ago, he had an affair with another woman uh, and left my sister and got this lady pregnant. Worth was 58 years old. This woman was in her 30s. and So she had a little baby by him, and he felt obligated to marry her for the child. So he divorced my sister and married her. So we really haven't had any communication with him in the last couple of years. but we didn't know he was dying. And my sister told me about a month ago that he has been diagnosed with lung cancer, but it's like it's treatable kind of thing. You know, it's just a tumor. It's not a big deal kind of deal. It's going to be all right. Um, and then a week ago, Friday, they found out he had terminal cancer. And when they diagnosed it back in February, they, the doctors knew he had about two months to live. So he died. And that's what I saw in that was, was uh, if you have somebody in your life that has drifted away from God and drifted away from you, please, please go and try to help that person. Go love that person. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Don't reject them. Don't add to the wounds in their life. Because we tried. It didn't work. Maybe we didn't try hard enough. I don't really think about that. All I know is this. I love that. Deeply, his, his son said, "Man, I'm really glad you came to the funeral. I know y'all were was through with him when he divorced Mama, <laughs> my sister." I said, "Man, I wasn't through with him. I never quit hearing him. I never quit loving him. He had a special place in my heart. If I'd known but i known he would have really been in this case, I'd have been there. You know, but I didn't. My sister, did, my sister didn't even know. She didn't know he was dying." You know, life is short. It really is. Life is real short. And it is not worth it. It's not worth you backslide, number one. Because Worth backslid and Worth missed his destiny on this earth. He married that woman and he's been married to that woman in less than two years and she had to bury him. It was sad. I went up to introduce myself to the woman. She it was like... She figured I was going to unload on her. She wouldn't even extend her hand to me until I said, I really love worth. And then she grabbed me and said, I love him too. It's the best thing that ever happened in my life. That's what she said to me. was like, okay, at my sister's expense. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's really not worth us. If you were drifting from God this morning, it's not worth it because it goes pretty quick. When I was 17 years old, getting high with Worth, I never thought this day would ever come. When Worth was saved, he was so loving God and so passionate about God, I never thought this day would come. But it came. It came for Barry Morley's son, quicker, 33 years old. It's going to come for all of us one day. Every one of us in this room, one day we are going to all have to go that route unless Christ returns so number one if you are drifting from God this morning be careful don't, you know you need to get back in front with Jesus He wants you back you know and it's not worth it it wasn't worth it for her. it wasn't worth it I, would, I promise you He would tell us that day and number two if you have people in, in your life that have drifted if you know people who have been wounded in the church somehow let's get them and help them let's don't wound them anymore let's don't be dogmatic about stuff here well, they didn't do that right. Let's go hammer them. Hey, let's have some grace on them. Let's have some mercy on them. Give them some space. Well, they didn't give what you told them to. Forget it! Let's have some grace on them. Let's tell them the truth, but let's help them walk into the truth. That's what we've got to do. That's how the body of Christ is meant to be. Well, they didn't say that Right a religious spirit who cares man the guy's going towards God let's just tell him one day after he after he's ready hey you know you didn't say that exactly right this is a little better deal on it a little more a greater revelation but I'm with you baby I'm with you if you're down I'll get down there with you I'll crawl out the hole with you I'm not going to push you back in the hole I'm not going to add to it you hear what I'm saying to you that's what God wants us to do That's how God wants us to be. I mean, honestly. I lost somebody to me that really meant something in my life. Okay? It hurt. It hurt. And I know that he got hurt and I know he had choices to make. But I'll tell you this. You know, people need to make their choices but we don't need to make them any more hurt honest to God. We don't. So, you know, if you got hurt this morning about what I said, that was not an intent. I think I probably hurt more people than you can imagine. You know? But I just want us to have some grace, you know, in our lives. I want us to have grace for each other. Amen? So, if you got to go, anybody who has to go, you got to be somewhere, but you want to do communion, uh, they probably have something planned. I'm messing the plan up, but just Get, you know, enjoy the body of the Lord. You know, so however we plan to do this, Lord, bless the communion. Thank you for the body of Jesus that makes grace so possible.